Welcome to the Life of Christ series for term three. This is lesson 28. We're going to pick up, I was right in the middle of a quote by William Hendrickson when we left off in the last lesson, but there was so much to it that I decided to continue it on in this session. So I'm going to go back, I'm on, in chapter 15 and on page 30, in relation to what Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 47, when he said, if you, but if you do not believe his writings, talking about Moses, how will you believe my words? And William Hendrickson then wrote regarding that, he says, As we see it, what Jesus meant was this, You Jews are always saying that nothing is as sacred as the written Torah. Though in actual practice, you often seem to esteem the oral law above the written. Or actual practice means in what they actually did. He goes on to say, You place the written law above everything else, certainly above any words which anyone might utter. Also, you regard Moses as your chief leader, and vie, that means to compete and contend, with one another in praising his memory. As you see it, no one living today could possibly compare to him. Therefore, if his writings you do not believe, how will you believe my words? I think that is really powerful. Amen? So, he's saying basically, so notice again, he says... First of all, no one living today could possibly compare with him as far as they're concerned. He is the pinnacle okay, of, of all of what they believe. And so that's where this condemnation comes in. He's saying, if, you, the, if the person that you hold in highest esteem, if you don't believe what he has actually written, not what you think he might have said. You know, we can misunderstand what people say. You know, some person hears them saying this, and some, somebody hears, and then we start arguing about what they said. But hey, man, when you write it down, it's written. Which is the reason why it's so good to write certain things down, okay? Because then there's no uh, uh, room for misinterpretation, so to speak, or very little, if any, okay? And so what he's saying is, listen, this isn't something you heard and maybe have got it wrong. This is something that was written. So he's saying the person that actually wrote this, if you don't believe him, he says, then how are you going to believe what I say? Can, can I just add this now to it? Because everything that Moses... Please follow this circle if you get lost or you get lost, okay? Because everything that Moses said came from Christ. So what Christ is actually quoting is what he said to Moses to say that he is now saying. Did you get it? Did you see the circle? Okay, all right. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so that's, that's what he's saying. How can you receive... Do you understand what he means? He says, how can you receive... You know, not, if you don't receive his writings, then how can you receive my words? Because it, again, because it is my words that I gave him to write down, which I'm now quoting. So if you're out of this circle, you're to- totally out of it. Okay. And so, Leon Morris, in his commentary, says that if these people who profess to be Moses' disciples, who honored Moses' writings as sacred scripture, who gave an almost superstitious reverence to the letter of the law, I'm on page 31, if these people did not really believe the things that Moses had written, and which were the constant objects of their study, then how could they possibly believe the words the spoken words of Jesus. Amen? No, I, I, now, the reason I put this one in here was because of what he said back here. 
when he said, if these people did not really believe the things that Moses had written, and which were the constant objects of their study, I think that is extraordinary. All right? They, the, they are constantly looking at what he said. All right? And coming up with things that don't line up with what he actually said. To me, I, I, this is what allows, you know, I guess convinces me that there is a spiritual agent behind this. All right? That you need the Spirit of God. You need the right heart to receive the Spirit as He ministers the Word that He wrote to you. Otherwise, another Spirit will come and misinterpret those words because you don't want to receive the words that are coming from over here. Again, there are choices that we make. You know, we can choose to either go to, to interpret something a certain way that may not be right or interpret it the way it is right. You know, and also not to be afraid of things, as I said to you in the previous session, where sometimes we are a little bit afraid that you know, we've heard bad things about certain scriptures, we don't want to go there. We don't want to bring it... <laughs> Sorry, I just remembered the words a certain preacher uttered uh, you know, when he was talking about things like this. He said, I can tell uh, where, uh, what people belong to, talking about the different denominations and stuff, by the scriptures they omit. <laughs> you know? And I, I thought that was very, very interesting the way he put that. And God talked to me about that. He said, Make sure that you don't omit anything just because it doesn't suit you. I said, You know, God, there's some things that are just so bad. Just, you know, I mean, they just seem to contradict everything. And he said, Understand that my word never contradicts itself. If there is a contradiction, it's because it has been written wrong, it has been interpreted wrong. And you need to go back and look at what it's actually saying. Not in light of all the doctrines that have been built on it, but in light of what it is actually saying. And see, this is the thing. This is where the Pharisees were. They had built doctrines upon certain things. And so their doctrines now held more water than the thing that it was built on. Do you all get it? So... You know, and that's really you know why it is important to go back to some things sometimes, and just which is my job. You know, that's my job. Okay, I get paid to do that. To, okay, to go pull my hair out, so to speak, to go back and look at things and say, okay, you know what? Maybe we're thinking about this wrong because it doesn't fit everything else. So let's go find the gem that is in here that has been lost due to wrong interpretation. Let's pull it back out and put it back in the Word and put it back where it belongs. So that then we have a more complete Word of God to work with. Amen? Because the more we have, the more we can, come, you know, no, the more we can um, defend ourselves against the attacks that the enemy brings. And not just defend ourselves, but actually overcome him with it. Because remember, it talks about Revelation. It talks about that they overcame him with you know, the Word of God and the Word of their testimony. It's really interesting. Yeah? Amen? Oh, yeah. We don't, time, don't have time for that. Anyway, getting back to this. Therefore, even though Moses had predicted the coming of the Christ and told the Jewish people to listen to him and obey him when he did finally come. See, that's what, that was the whole thing. He predicted Jesus coming. He said, when he comes, listen to him. I mean, it was that simple. Okay? Even after all of that, when he did finally come, they refused to do so. 
They refused to do what Moses had commanded them. And why it is going to be Moses himself that would ultimately accuse them to the Father. Oh, just That's incredible. Can you, can, can you just imagine that? Imagine that these Jews that put all the stock in, his, in Moses' writing and Moses turns on him. <laughs> you know, that is a very bad day for them. Why? Because Moses is looking at Jesus. That's Lord. That's God. And, you know, it'd be almost like, how dare you take everything that I wrote, pointing to him, and use it against him, is what he's going to say. And he's going to turn around and say, no, you know what? They're without excuse. That's a condemnation. They refused to hear the voice of God. They refused to be led by the Spirit of God in whatever form that He was there for them. Because the Spirit was there for the priest. You know, prophet, priest, king. Okay, He was there for the priest. As they, and that would include the Pharisees and stuff. Yeah? They were meant to be in a priestly ministry. Whatever titles that they had. So, so that concludes John chapter 5. The four witnesses that confirm that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. All right. Wow. We're going on to chapter 16 in our book, <clears throat> entitled Jesus, Lord and Healer. And the first subsection on that is Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath. So following this exchange with the Jewish leaders concerning his deity, the next recorded event in chronological order is found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, with regard to Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. To introduce this section and give us an overall view of what the recorded events in the Gospels have been leading up to, Leon Morris writes, In the first days of his ministry, it is plain that Jesus won a wide measure of acceptance. He did works of mercy. I really like the way he said that. All right. He didn't do works to boast. He didn't do works to gain fame. He did works of mercy. Okay, all right. He did works of mercy and was a, a popular preacher. But in the course of time, the Jewish establishment came to. <laughs> I like the way he said that because it's very interesting when you read the Gospel of John. John doesn't distinguish Jews. He doesn't say good Jews and bad Jews. He just calls them all just Jews. And the Jews decided to stone him. And the Jews did this. And it's always in, not in a nice way, can I put it that way, okay? It's very interesting to actually see that because I think John got the revelation that all the Jews that believed Christ became Christians. They, be, they didn't become Jews for Christ. They became Christians. Are you all with me? And so anybody that held on to the title Jew, to him, they were in rebellion. So <laughs> he says the Jewish establishment came to see that what he was doing and what he was teaching were incompatible with an acceptance of their essential position. Wow. So they came to oppose him. And that with a virulence that would eventually lead to his death. Okay, so it was so intense that it would literally lead to them murdering him. Alright, in fact the Spirit-filled Bible identifies their great point of contention and says the growing opposition to the ministry of Jesus by the religious leaders finds its fullest expression 
in the observance of the Sabbath. So this is where the key uh, sort of religious opposition comes from. Okay, all right. In the observance of the Sabbath, the most sacred institution amongst the Jews. Interesting, isn't it? See, this is why it wasn't a problem with the Gentiles. They're like, Sabbath, what's that? <laughs> you know, you know? <clears throat> they didn't care. And when, 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 the, when, you know, when the New Testament came in, and when we began to realize that Sabbath was meant to be every day, hello, we, we were meant to be in a rest in everything. Even when we're working, we're meant to be at rest. Because we have God in us now. Whereas in the, in the past, people, God was on the outside, and he would have to say to them, you need to rest because you guys can't manage this. Okay, but when he came on the inside of us, we entered into rest. Hallelujah. And because we do that, every day is a Sabbath, which means we can work continuously and keep God on our mind all at the same time. They had to take a day out to remember him, (laughs) okay? Because they were so busy doing their business all the other days. Isn't it tremendous that we live in an age now that we are both kings and priests? We can at the same time be conquering and being a priest before God while we're conquering out there. Hallelujah. It's a thing. You know, we, we need to learn how to do that better. Anyway, getting back to this. <clears throat> All right. The reason was that the Jews had turned the Sabbath into their own personal religion. They decided what was and was not permissible. On the Sabbath. And when Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh, began to correct their errors, that's where all the trouble started. Amen. Why? Because they didn't want to learn. They were happy with what they were doing. And they had set things up on purpose. You know, they were, they were making money out of a lot of different ways, okay? The things that they were doing. Therefore, William MacDonald says that, it wasn't only that, but it was other things. William MacDonald says that this chapter in Matthew records the, the mounting crisis of rejection. The rising malice and animosity of the Pharisees, described by MacDonald as legal nitpickers. <laughs> he calls them legal nitpickers, the Pharisees, okay? <laughs> are now ready to spill over. So it's getting to the place. So just to bring everything to a place where we can understand now where in the point of Jesus' life we are. This is the place where things are starting to turn and go in the other direction. He's, start, he's gone from being, there's going to be another point where this is going to be brought out, where things are just going to escalate again. So this is the first, the first time that things turn. So I want you to see something here. So what we're seeing is that Jesus' popularity is rising, okay? And they're sort of looking at him thinking, well, that's quite interesting what he's teaching. Look, he's, he's performing miracles, he's healing people. Wow, that's pretty awesome. You know, this is our religious guy. You know what I'm trying to say? They're sort of like, this is our guy, you know? Except now he starts to come against some of the things that they're doing. So they're going, hmm, he's our guy, but he's kind of, you know, a bit prickly and thorny, and we don't kind of like some of the things he's saying. And we know some of the things are directly relating to us and our practices, which we don't want to give up because we're just doing so. Okay. Anyway, so that started to happen. And so they just get, got to a place where they've kind of put up with him and now it's going to turn. This is the first turning. It's going to happen a couple of times. Okay? So you need to see that this is the first bump in the road and this is the first time that things actually switch direction. Okay? And so they are going to now start going in a direction where there's going to be this undercurrent now where it's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger that's ultimately going to come to the surface and lead to his crucifixion. 
Do you understand? So this is where the thing actually begins. Are you all with me? All right. Therefore, William MacDonald says that this chapter in Matthew records the mounting crisis again, the rising malice and and animosity of the Pharisees described by, again, MacDonald as legal nitpickers, who are, uh, and are now ready to spill over. And so beginning in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, which now, now I'm going to give you the parallels so that you know where this is found in the other Gospels as well. Okay? I will include certain things from those Gospels where one Gospel doesn't cover it. We'll put the other, the, the other Gospels information into it all right, so that we have a full picture of what's going on. So I'm literally giving you the, the story from all three Gospels with all the information, all in one verse, each verse as we go through. Okay. Having said that, I'm not going to say that again. <laughs> okay. So, so that you understand why there are so many brackets and, and, and references there. All right. So, Matthew, I'm going to be ta- doing this uh, from Matthew's Gospel, but include Mark and Luke. At that time, that is following the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, also on the Sabbath, and having defended his deity, which we just looked at, all right, in John 5, verses 1 through 18, it says in Luke 6, 1, and Mark 2, 23, now it happened that. So where, where Matthew says at that time, it tells us at which time, but it also now says that now it happened, that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, which Luke says was the second Sabbath. All right, so he's giving us a little bit more information there. And his disciples were hungry, and they and began to pick or pluck heads of grain and to eat. And Luke adds in Luke six one, rubbing them in their hands. That, that is a key thing. It wasn't just the you know, it wasn't just the eating; it's the rubbing. Okay, we're going to see why that was such a deal. Now it is interesting that none of the accounts tell us exactly where Jesus was. All right, presumably somewhere in Galilee nor where he was going, which in itself may be significant in that regardless of where Jesus was and what he was doing, the Pharisees' only purpose now was to find fault in everything he did and criticize him. Are you with me? We're at this point now, okay? All right. Notice in this verse also that his disciples have now joined him, and that is it is they who are hungry and begin to pluck the heads of grain and eat them. And according to Deuteronomy 23:25, this was most definitely allowed. All right? Remember again, I'm bringing all this because you need to see that what they're being accused of wasn't right. Okay, all right. So, your Bible school students, that's what you need to know. All right, you need to know where the scriptures are. All right, it says there, Deuteronomy 23:25, if you enter the, your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not pick a, uh, put a sickle to his standing grain and harvest it. Do you understand that? You understand what it says there? So it's saying, listen, if you go through a field, you're allowed to pick and eat. But don't, you know, don't go, okay, you know what? I can take about 20 or 30 of these and go and sell them and get some money off them. So please don't do that. Because that's, what, that's, that's his profit that you're eating into now, so to speak. Okay? Certainly eat. But don't harvest it and take it off and sell it. That's wrong. Okay. So that's the only thing that you're not allowed to do. Are you all with me? Okay. So you can't eat. Okay. So it wasn't what they were doing that was wrong, but when they were doing it. And that only according to the Pharisees' wrong interpretation of God's law. Which is why it goes in the say now in Matthew chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 2. 
which is the next verse. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, now here Mark 2.24 has the Pharisees asking Jesus, why do they, that is your disciples, do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? While Luke 6.2 has the Pharisees asking the disciples, why are you disciples doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Matthew's Gospel says, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So firstly, since there were many Pharisees present, it is very likely that some addressed Jesus, as seen in Matthew's and Mark's account, while others addressed the disciples as brought out in Luke's account. Are you getting this? You know they're not all going to wait for one person to talk. <laughs> okay? You know, they all have an opinion. That's a Pharisee for you. Okay? And, so, so they're all, and they're all accusing. So, you know, some are attacking Jesus, some are attacking the disciples. Are you with me? Second, with regard to doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath, John MacArthur writes, No law prohibited the plucking of grain in order to eat on the Sabbath. It prohibited only labor for the sake of profit. Thus, a farmer could not harvest for profit on the Sabbath, but an individual could glean enough grain to eat. Do you understand? Gleaning is a, you know, rubbing together. and That's what the Pharisees are now arguing against. Okay, all right. Therefore, if we were to look at this from a slightly different perspective, we would come to the astounding realization that it was the Pharisees' charge itself that was sinful. Since they were the ones daring to hold their tradition on equal par with God's word. Did you get that? I'll explain that. Okay. What, what's going on here now is that what they said was wrong is coming against what God said was not wrong. And they are saying that what they have concluded and the laws that they have written apparently based on the word of God alright, is no longer in line with the word of God. It is their tradition now. Okay, that's why Jesus is going to say that your traditions are going to make the word of God of no effect. Okay, because it's going to count, the only way that can happen is if it contradicts the word of God. Actually goes in the opposite direction. Okay, so what, 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 what is happening here is that the very thing that the Pharisees are doing in order to accuse the disciples and accuse Jesus, is the thing that will be used against them to accuse them of getting it wrong and doing the wrong thing. Joe with me? Okay, alright, so in doing the wrong thing, then you become wrong. And then you can be accused of being wrong. Okay, let's move on. Alright, <laughs> and, and what this was saying was that in doing that, you're saying that what you are saying is on the same level as what God was saying. And if there was a choice between God's word and your word, your word was to be higher than God's word. Wow. That cannot happen. Okay. All right. William Henderson describes this whole scene so well when he writes, Filled with envy, we might finish with this today. Filled with envy, the Pharisees were always watching Jesus to see whether something he said or did could be used as a charge against him, so as to destroy him. There was murder in their hearts. Suddenly they confront Jesus, blaming him for allowing his disciples to profane the Sabbath. Was not work forbidden on the seventh day? This is what they're saying, okay? Had not the rabbis, not God, drawn up 
a catalogue of 39 principal works subdivided into many minor categories so that, for example, plucking heads of grain was considered reaping and rubbing out the grain considered threshing. And <laughs> here were the disciples engaged in these very activities and even, even enjoying the fruits of their sin. Okay? They were eating this ill-gotten gain. <laughs> okay, gain, yeah, I could say grain as well. Okay? <laughs> and I like that. And Jesus was doing nothing about it. Can you see the, okay, this is the indignant look. This is what's going on on the inside of their religious little brain. And Hendrickson concludes, obviously, what was happening was that Christ's enemies were burying the real law of God, which did not in any sense forbid what the disciples were now doing under the mountain of their man-made foolish traditions. Amen? Jesus will address this in Matthew 15 and verse 3 when he says to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition. It's a choice you make. Amen? Amen. We're going to come back, pick up here, and talk about this a little bit more in our next session. All right, let's have every head. That's a, this is a big topic here. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Hallelujah.